Welcome to this podcast featuring Amir Sarfati, founder and president of Behold Israel. Behold Israel provides reliable and accurate reporting on developments in Israel and the region. Amir's live updates and teachings are based on God's written word. Connect with Behold Israel on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Download our free app, available in Android and Apple, under Behold Israel. Topic of our message is who goes where. You know, as Mount Taal uh, erupted and as uh, uh, the uh, escalation in the Middle East took place in the past 10, 15 days, when, um, you know, a top terrorist was uh, killed and the world was thinking this is it, um, you know, Google said that the number one search word was World War III. I mean, people literally thought that there is, uh, um, you know, a world war coming around the corner and that uh, um, they didn't know what to do. People panic when hardships come and things that are out of their control. And then people start asking themselves, okay, so what's going to happen if something happens here? And you know, it doesn't have to be a terrorist, it doesn't have to be a war necessarily, it can be an eruption of a volcano that can completely paralyze a whole country. Let's face it, on Sunday uh, evening to Monday afternoon, even Manila was paralyzed. A city of millions and millions of people, just from just ashfall and smoke. So you can imagine that people are interested in understanding what's next, where do I go? What if something happens to me? Now we need to understand that God made earth to be the place for mankind to dwell. He could have made heaven for them, but heaven is the place for him and his hosts of angels. Earth is the one he gave to men. And we also need to understand that when he gave earth to men, he made it perfect for them. There was no need for anything. Adam was given everything that he ever required. In fact, Adam really, in a sense, never had to eat from that tree at all. He didn't add anything to, to him. You understand that there was no volcanoes eruption, eruptions there. There was no earthquakes there. In fact, no floods or tsunamis, no typhoons, no hurricanes, nothing. It was perfect. And the best of the best is that God will descend to fellowship with man. In those days, there was no need for a temple and a sacrifice and blood to be shed. There was no sin to atone. It was perfect harmony. It was perfect fellowship of God and the crown jewel of his creation, man. And that explains to you why God was so disappointed with man that by chapter 6 of Genesis, he already wanted to wipe out this world. And, and, and he, the Bible says he was sorry that he ever created man. And isn't that interesting? You know, it, it took only literally few pages of everything perfect and the rest, God is trying to tell everyone, repent and there is a hope if you will repent. Change your ways. But God was perfect with man God wanted to fellowship with men, but men preferred not to fellowship with God. 
Men preferred to believe the lies and the deception of the enemy. Men preferred to look and get that which is the only thing God said, do not touch. Men preferred to disobey God, disrespect God, disfellowship, disengage from God. And this is why when sin was brought forth, shame was brought forth, fear was brought forth, and, and now guilt was brought forth. And when God came to walk in the garden, where was Adam and Eve? Where were they? They were hiding. You know, you don't hide if everything is great. You don't hide if everything is beautiful and perfect. What is it that people hide? Secrets. They don't want people to know. Everything that is secret, by the way, just so you know, is fishy also. And it's interesting because men preferred not to fellowship with God. And, and then, of course, after this great fall of man, yet God sent His Son to redeem the sinners. There was no other hope for mankind but to be redeemed through the shed blood of a perfect Son of God. God extended His love once again even in a greater way than just creating man, but now His own Son was given. I will be honest with you, I was thinking about it. As much as I love all of you, and I do, I would never give my only Son for the sake of you. Sorry. God did. That's how much He loves you. And then the Holy Spirit descended to fill the redeemed with knowledge and the understanding of God's ways, guidance, comfort, hope, until He comes to take us. And of course, God promised through His Son to take the redeemed. To be with Him. And God will send His Son and His redeemed back to earth to rule and judge. And of course, God will judge the whole world. And He, later on, will make all things new. You see, people don't understand, but everything we do, everything we say, every intention of our heart is recorded in heaven. There's a beautiful, big recording, uh, tape recorder. Maybe it's now different, more technologically advanced. But I want to tell you something, MP3 or something, I'm not sure. But it's recording everything. When the, the Bible describes books in heaven, and in those books, every person's name who has ever been born to this world and everything he did and everything he said and everything he had in his mind and in his heart. Sometimes you don't have to say something. Sometimes you can just think about it. And God knows. How many times did Jesus answer to people who actually only thought about something and you knew exactly what they were thinking about? Now, the oldest book in the Bible is not, Gen it's not Genesis because Genesis is speaking of the oldest event, of course, but it was written by Moses. And Moses came way after the patriarchs. Moses describes them. But the oldest book is the book that was written by the man who was at the time of the patriarchs, and it's Job. Job, by the way, estimated to have been written in the time of about between 1900 and 1700 B.C. Let's say roughly 4,000 years ago. And Job 
knew what Moses knew, what David knew, and what Jesus said, and what Paul knew, he knew the same thing. He knew that eventually there is judgment. Job said in chapter 19, and look at Job. Job was a beautiful, great servant of the Lord. Yet he was tested. He was tried. And God was confident enough to allow Satan to test Job because Job was innocent. And Job, instead of hating God for that and being angry with God for the hardships that he goes through, what did he say? He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. So I serve a living God. So I, 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 I'm not dismayed. Then he said, and he shall stand. So my God will one day come back to earth and stand on earth. Job said that. And after my skin is destroyed, and literally when I'm even dead, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God. So Job said, look, it doesn't matter if you're alive now or you die. Eventually, you're going to stand before God. I shall see God whom I shall see for myself. You're going to be, if you're a believer, it's a personal encounter you will have with him. And then, and my eyes shall behold and not another. It's not that I pray to Mary, to pray to Jesus, to pray to God. No. There is a direct and personal relationship, not another. I don't pray to someone to pray to someone to talk to someone. My eyes shall behold, and how my heart yearns within me. And if you should say, how shall we persecute him? Then since the root of the matter is found in me, look what he said. He said to all the sinners, to all the people, he says, Be afraid of the sword for yourselves, for wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know there is a judgment. Job says, No one can escape judgment. Judgment is the first thing that happens, and it's the most important thing that happens when you are dead. That's the next thing. Basically, you are awaiting the judgment. This is why the book of Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, It is appointed for men to die once, but after this is the judgment. After this, after the death, there is judgment. Look, it's appointed to die. People die. All of you right now. Take your fingers, pinch yourself. You're alive right now. But take a picture of yourself from 10 years ago. You're dying. Look, that's how it is. Sin entered the world and decay came and death came. And we're literally sometimes slower, sometimes faster, but in a process that leads us to death. It is appointed for men to die once. Now, thankfully, there is a promise that when the rapture happens, some of us are not being, going to be dead yet. We're going to be taken alive. And hopefully, all of us will not have to die. But if you die tomorrow, you know after there's a judgment. And for the believer, there is one judgment, and that is in heaven, and that is the judgment 
seat, the Bema seat of Christ, and it has nothing to do with hell, and it has nothing to do with punishment. It has to do with rewards and with, with, uh, 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 with crowns, and it has to do with uh, what is it that we receive and then later on can give back to Him. But then for the non-believers, what happens to them? Still there is judgment. Their judgment is delayed until after the thousand years millennial kingdom when God will call all the dead people from all over the world in the history of planet earth and then they will all stand before the great white throne of judgment. And the books will be opened, the Bible says. 1 Samuel 2.6, Hannah, who was praying to God for a male child, who was a barren woman, as you remember, she said, the Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and He brings up. Hannah, like every other Jew in the Old Testament, knew, believed that there is something after death. It's not over. God will bring us back up for judgment. There's no doubt about it. We, there is afterlife. There are things that are going to happen. All of you better understand that. Daniel the prophet, the flagship of the apocalyptic uh, events of the Old Testament, said, at the time, Michael, the archangel, shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble. And he's speaking of the great tribulation that is known for Israel as the trouble of Jacob or Jacob's trouble that Jeremiah the prophet in chapter 30 describes. And then he says, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And he said, and at that time your people shall be delivered, he said. Everyone who is found what? Written in the book. And many... Now what book is he talking about? Look, there's two types of books in the, in the heavens. There's a stack of books that are recording all men everywhere and all of their deeds. And there is the book of life of the Lamb that all believers are now added to that book with the, probably it's not even in ink, it's blood. And you cannot erase them. This is a different one. And he says, all that are found in the book. And then many of those who sleep, those who died in the dust of the earth, shall awake some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine. Listen, what Daniel says is this. Look, it matters how you live today. It matters who you trust and what you believe. Because when the resurrection comes, there are two types of resurrections. There is a resurrection for the believer, and if you are smart... You will shine if you are smart. By the way, you're shine. You're the light of the world, Jesus said. Like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness. Look, not only that you're a believer, what makes you shine, what makes you bright, is also that which leads you to lead others to righteousness. A believer cannot be dormant, cannot be an inactive person. A believer must be empowered by, by the Holy Spirit, not to just sit and study, but to go and share. 
God did not say that only select people are called to share. No, we all need to proclaim the wonders of the one who led us from darkness into his marvelous light. And he said, turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And you know, Jesus had to deal with that question of what happens after we die. In the times of Jesus, there were two major groups in the Jewish community. There were the Sadducees, who were priestly descendants of priestly families. There were the aristocratic uh, a group of people, wealthy people, very well connected with the regime. They were people who were very flexible, you know. Le you know le let's bend the Word of God to fit the times and the season in which we live. Remember yesterday we saw that there are churches who are twisting the Word of God to adjust them to modern times, to modern days. That's how the Sadducees were. Let's not be dogmatic. And they, by the way, said, look, we're only having one shot. We're born to this world. Let's make the most out of it. YOLO, you only live once. Carpe diem, live the day. They did not believe in resurrection from the dead. That's why they were sad, you see? Sad, you see. <laughs> Never mind. But, but then there were the Pharisees. The Pharisees are strict Orthodox Jews who believed in the fulfillment and in the written law. And if the law says there is a resurrection, there has to be a resurrection. The Pharisees were very religious people. It says resurrection. There is a resurrection. And it's interesting because it's the Sadducees who wanted to set up a snare, a, a, sort of like a trap for Jesus. So in Luke 20, verses 27 to 38, then came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection, and they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us, that if a man's brother's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for him, for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. No, look how irrational and ridiculous they are in sailing in their imagination. There were seven brothers. They all married the same women and they all had no children. How can that be possible? But they wanted to see and so the first took the wife, died without children. The second and the third took her. Likewise, all seven left, no children, and died. And afterwards, the woman also died. In the resurrection, if you say there is. Therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. And they're like... And Jesus said to them, the son of this age, marry, and are given in marriage. This age means before we reach the afterlife. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in the marriage. Well, they cannot die anymore. See, if you have been resurrected, if you, if you are dead, let's say you died, okay, as a believer, 
you died. And I know I'm going to shatter some myths that you all have. I'm going to see you in heaven. I'm going to be married again. My, my dog will be there and I will... Ladies and gentlemen, in heaven, Jesus himself says, obviously, after you die, you cannot die anymore because they are now equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection, but that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and God of Isaac and God of Jacob. See, if Moses knew that they are all alive somewhere. That's why he called them the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. But in heaven, you don't marry. You don't have children. You don't fight over a wife. So what are you talking about? If you only understood what a believer is going to be like in heaven, you wouldn't even be asking me this question. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year without, with blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once and the end of the ages, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it uh, is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. This is one of the most important pieces of Bible. Think about it. The writer to the Hebrews says Christ came and he died and he shed his blood which is far better than all the sacrifices that are being made on a, on a daily and on a weekly and a monthly and on an annual basis. But then he said, ladies and gentlemen, he came once to die for your sin, but he's going to appear. Say the word, say appear. Appear is not coming back and staying. Appear is, he appears somewhere. And he will appear what? To those who eagerly wait for him, can there, be a, can there be a real believer that is not waiting for Jesus? Did you understand what he's saying? If you call yourself a Christian and you're not interested that Jesus will come, I'm not sure in what book you believe. He says, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear the second time, apart from sin. He already dealt with sin. This time is for what? It's the salvation of your body from this world. He's coming back to take you. And who is he going to take? Those who are eagerly waiting. Are you eagerly waiting for him? Yes. Then you are going to be taken. But if you're like, 
I don't care about Jesus, the Bible, this. I care about making money, 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 and having fame and having this. And I, sorry, <laughs> you're going to be one of those five virgins that didn't have probably oil in their lamps and they were left. So how many people were, are, and will be in the world? Not number-wise, but age-wise. I'm talking about time frame. There's the Old Testament people from the very beginning of creation all the way. Then there's the New Testament, the first century. Then there's the church age, the last 2,000 years. Then when we are out of here, there will be a seven years tribulation. And then after we come back with Jesus to reign, there is the millennial kingdom. After the millennial kingdom, that's it. He makes all things new. And all this group of people that you see over there, they all have a specific place designated for them after death. Are you ready? So, who goes where? That's the message. First birth. All of us are born of the water. Women are carrying that baby. They're basically a walking swimming pool. The baby is swimming. There's water. And when is it? What is it, the main sign that they're ready to give birth? The water breaks. There's no more water. He cannot swim. It's time to go out. So birth out of water is the natural birth of a person. And believe it or not, as much as the babies are cute and look innocent, they are already born in sin. How dare you say that? I didn't say that. David the king said that. And you know very well that children can lie and deceive and, and be manipulative and all of that. Hello? They were born in sin. Genesis 6 says that from the moment sin entered the world, it became so bad that then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Bible says in Psalm 51, when David was standing before Nathan, the prophet who confronted him with his sin of Bathsheba, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. I'm already born in sin. Romans 5, which often is being taken out of context by the universalists, is saying, Romans 5, 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death. Through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin, all sin, and all have, you know, have you ever seen a baby born without expiration date? A baby born to live 500 years, 800 years? No. Why do we wish each other up to 120? That's probably as old as you can ever get. There's an expiration date. Sin brought the average age all the way down. By the way, in the time of David, all the way by, down to almost 40. And then medicine, modern world, technology, we're up to 80 to 85 now. That's it. All sinned. Ephesians 2, And you he met alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, 
in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Hey, we were not different than all the non-believers. We were just as they were. Paul, the apostle, says, I am the chief, chief of sinners. I am definitely not someone who is perfect, even now, as long as you have this body. Remember, as long as you have this body, you cannot not sin. No, you can, you can live holy life by, by ways of avoiding sin, by ways of having life of, you know, of, um, you know, sanctifying yourself, being in, in the right company with the right people, listening to the right things, looking at the right things, and reading the right things. I mean, obviously, what we consume turns to who we are, basically. However, let no one forget that we were all like that. The Bible says in John 3, 16 to 18, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but ever have everlasting life. But then He says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. It's a beautiful thing. Jesus in His first coming did not come to judge, but in His second coming He is going to come to judge. In His first coming, He came to save. However, how about reading verse 18 also? Because verse 18 continues, it says, He who believes in Him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is what? Condemned already. Because all of us were born in sin, we're all already condemned. The minute you believe in Christ, you're coming out of the condemned and you're now not condemned. So if you don't believe in Jesus, you're condemned already. It's not like you will be doing some terrible things and then you will be condemned. No. You've already been born in sin. You're already condemned. Only faith in Jesus Christ takes you out of the camp of the condemned and makes you not condemned because He... Whoever is condemned has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So there is the first death, and you cannot avoid it. But then comes the second, the first birth, excuse me. Then there is a second birth. Now yesterday we celebrated Pastor Edwin's 50th birthday. It's beautiful. But we all need to have another birthday. All people are born of the water. And Jesus asked Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you're a teacher in Israel. You're a smart man. Don't you know that birth from the water is not enough? Don't you know that one must be born? Listen, I remember 1998, my first trip to the Philippines. 1998, I was a 25-year-old good-looking boy. That's it. From then, it goes downhills. 
and I met someone in the street, I quoted a scripture, I believe, and he said, are you a Catholic or born again? And I'm like, are these are the options here on the menu? Well, according to what he said, yes. Well, born again knows the Bible very good. Wait, wait, wait a minute. You think born again is another religion? I mean, there's Catholics and there's born again. There's a born again church and there's Catholic. No, no, born again, everyone can be born again. Everybody should be born again. If you're a Muslim, you should be born again. If you're a Catholic, you should be born again. If you're a Jew, you should be born, be born again. If you're a Hindu, you should be born again. There is no Catholic or born again. There is born again or born again. If you're not born again, that's it. There is only one type of Christian that can enter the kingdom of God, and it's a born again. You cannot choose, oh, Catholic, born again, Orthodox. Well, this is not an option. It's not a, a, a menu bar. And I was shocked when he asked me that. But then I realized, man, that term born again became a coin of speech now, as if it's an option. There's the second birth from the Spirit. And it's not like you don't have sin. Your sin is now forgiven. Your sin is now removed and forgotten. Your sin is now no longer condemning you. You're born from the Spirit. That means you have new life. You have your new creation. That means you have a renewal of the mind. The old things have passed away. You should not be hanging with the old friends. You should not be doing the old shenanigans. You should not be watching the old things. You should not be uh, reading the old things. You should not be listening or engaged in the old things. Folks, if you're as, you know, in, in the old days, used to hang out in bars and discotheques and clubs and all of those things, and you know exactly where it led you to, as a born-again and spirit-filled, do you really think that that's what you need to do right now? And so you have a new birth from above. Oh, I want to be cool. I want to be like everybody else. I'm sorry. You're, we are not meant to be like the world. We're not meant to be loved by the world. We're not meant to be... You understand? Sin is forgiven. John 5, 24, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Beautiful. John 4, Jesus said to the woman, the Samaritan woman, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain, nor in Jerusalem, will worship the Father. You, the Samaritans, worship what you do not know. We, the Jews, we know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. Not of Apollo Kiboloi in Davao. <laughs> he is not the Son of God. There is no other Messiah. There is no other Lord. There is no other appointed Son. There is no such thing. The salvation is of the Jews, he says. However, he said, but 
Having said that, yes, he had to come from the house of Judah. Having said that, women, listen to me, the hour is coming. And actually, it's now. Here I am, woman. I'm standing in front of you. The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. The Father is not interested in you going to the temple or church or synagogue or whatever it is, five times a day, three times a day, do the rosary, do the Hail Mary 50 times. I mean, any religious act is not what the Father wants. He wants people to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And He, as a, as a, as a Messiah, but also as a Jew, says, look, the Samaritans A say A, we the Jews even say B, but we're both wrong. The religion is not the answer. Spirit and in truth, he says. Second Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, not in the church, not in the mosque, not in the synagogue, if you are in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Titus 3, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done. Paul is a chief religious person. He knows exactly. He says, we've done all those works, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of, gener of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So we talked about the first birth and we talked about the second birth. Second birth is more important. But you cannot have the second birth if you were not born for the first birth. You have to be alive to be born again. But you cannot be born born again. Hello? You were born of the flesh and then you must be born of the spirit. But then comes the first death. First death is nothing we as believers should worry about. And I want you to remember, keep it in mind, I, as a believer, should not worry or be afraid of death. You have to chant that, even. Death lost its sting. Death, look, what is the definition of death? Separation from life. Who do we believe in and who are we in? Christ. Who is Christ? He's the only what? Way, truth, and life. When you are in Christ, death is no longer separation from life anymore. Death is just the consequences of sin that you were born into, but that's it. It's a natural consequence of sin. And by the way, for the unbeliever, I want to say, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The word hell is in the Bible. And the word hell is in the Bible in the context of those who are non-believers. They should be aware of that place and as a consequence of their disbelief. And I want you to know, Churches all across the world refrain from saying sin, refrain from saying the word repent, and refrain from talking about hell. They say there is no hell. 
and by ways of saying no hell, there is no heaven, and by ways of saying there is no heaven, there is nothing after, and then do the most now. Interesting, because in Luke 16 it says, so it was that the beggar died. Luke 16 is an amazing, amazing story. And it's not a parable. It's a true story because Lazarus is mentioned in his name. The beggar died and it was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Look at that. A believer has an angel carrying him. A non-believer just goes to death. That's it. And it's interesting because, look, being, where was the non-believer? In a place where? In torments in Hades. Hades in Hebrew, Sheol. is a place. It's a place where all people in the Old Testament, before Jesus died and resurrected, all went to. So those who believed, and that was count for them as righteousness, were in one place called Abraham's bosom. And those who were non-believers and evil were in a place called the place of torments. But this was the same place almost with a divider. Do you understand? You could see from here, here. You could see, because look, he says, being in the torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. He, he could see it, yet he couldn't get there. So before Jesus died and resurrected, all people went to Hades. And Hades was divided, a place of torments and Abraham's bosom. It's just a waiting place for judgment. That's all. It's not that you can be born again in Hades. It's not that you have another chance to repent and all that purgatory is suggested. Uh, not at all. <laughs> Today is the day of salvation. Because you cannot save yourself then. Look, he knew that. When he wanted to tell his family, hey, be good, believe. He couldn't go back. He couldn't say anything. John 8, 24. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Jesus said, look, just like Moses said, here I put before you today life and death, good and evil. He said, choose life. And Jesus said, believe that I am He and you will not die. You see, for the believer, the good thief said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The death and the resurrection of Jesus marked a new era where all believers instantly go to be in his presence. That's it. Your body may rot, but your soul is already with Christ. That's it. You have to understand it's different than the Old Testament. John 11, 25 to 26, Jesus said to her, to Martha, who was lamenting over her, the death of her brother, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me. And by the way, he is actually hinting of the rapture. Because the rapture is when 
Jesus comes, the dead in Christ will rise, and we that are alive will be caught up in the air, will meet together Him in the cloud. The rapture is both for the dead believers and the living believers, okay? So look what Jesus said. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, let's say you die tomorrow, though he may die, he shall live. There's a resurrection for you. And whoever lives at that time and believes in me shall never die. See, the, the people who will never, ever die and never see death are those who are alive at the time of the rapture. God is not saying, okay, wait a minute, stand in a line, I want to kill all of you, and then I will resurrect all of you. No. Those who die, died, he'll resurrect them, and those who are alive will be caught up in the air. But then he asked her, look, Martha, I said all of this, but do you believe? You see, 1 Thessalonians 4 speaks of the rapture, although he speaks of the rapture 90 to 95% of the churches worldwide don't believe in the rapture. Jesus is asking them that also. Do you believe this? No, we don't. Oh, you have not, no problem believing he parted the sea, he rolled back the Jordan, he, he had Daniel in the lions then, but you have a problem with being raptured? Is that your problem? And by the way, Enoch was raptured, Elijah was raptured. Rapture, by the way, is not just upwards, it's also sidewards. Did you know that Philip, the evangelist, was raptured when he baptized the Ethiopic eunuch? When the Ethiopic, Ethiopic eunuch came out of the water and did this, <laughs> Philip was gone. The Bible says the Spirit took him, and the word in the Greek, harpazo, is also there. <laughs> gone. And by the way, the Ethiopian didn't go home and says, I don't believe this. He rejoiced. He was happy. He believed. See, two minutes old believer believes. 40-year-old believers, 50-year-old believers don't believe in the rapture. How sad. Philippians 1, 21 to 24, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We shouldn't be afraid of death. But if I live on in, on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. Paul says, look, I'm thinking about death, life. Look, I know that if I live, I mean, there's fruit for my life. But you know what? I'm not going to tell you which I'm going to choose. Because I know both are great options. It says, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ. Paul knew, for us, the believers, departure is instantly to be in the presence of God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He said that, and this is far better. But then that's the first death that everybody or most people will go through. Then there is the second death. And the second death is final. The second death is ultimate. The second death is eternal. The second death is the one you do not want to have part of. The second death is something reserved for the non-believers after they have been resurrected in the last, at the end of the, the, the millennial kingdom and being, have been, they have been judged for all the things they did. That's the second death. And by the way, the second death has no death in it. Wait a minute. It's a second death. 
No, 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 no. It's called the second death. But it's not exactly death. It's actually life in the lake of fire. The Bible says that death, real death, and Hades will be cast into the lake of fire. There's no more need for Hades. Nobody's awaiting any more judgment anymore. That's it. It's over. Judgment is over. Death and Hades were thrown. Death is disconnection from the source of life, from God. Hades, a temporary residence of all dead people awaiting their first resurrection. I'm talking about the non-believers, of course. Of course, in that Hades, there is Abraham's bosom, as I said, and the place of torments. We talked about that as well. And we go back to Luke 16, that there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared uh, uh, sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid in his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angel to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and he was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus' evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And by the way, this is not about it's great to be poor and it's horrible to be rich in this world. You no, know, it's the condition of the heart, just so you understand that. And then, of course, besides all these, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Basically, and then Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded to one rise from the dead. Basically, what we see here is this. You've got lifetime to make the most for Christ, for, for your own salvation by ways of following Christ and living the life of a believer. And this is why living as believers is more important than living life of, of sin and then putting your alarm clock so at the very end you can wake up and repent. No, because you are corrupting yourself through that life that you became so dull from hearing even that alarm clock at some point. That's why God is not telling us the day of the rapture. No one knows, not even the sun nor the angels. They don't know the day of the rapture. So we will be ready all the time. There's a logic behind it. Of course, in Revelation 1.18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of Hades and death. 
Jesus said, look, I have the keys of Hades and death. In other words, if you believe in me, you have no part in Hades or death. If you don't believe in me, that's where people go until, what? The day of judgment, when Hades and death will be cast down into the lake of fire. So Jesus said, look, I'm, I'm he. Look how many warnings we have in the Bible. Look what Abraham was trying to tell the rich man. If they don't believe the scriptures, do you think they'll believe a, a man who says he came from the dead? No. God gave them the scriptures so that, that they may believe. Revelation 20, the sea, after the, the millennial kingdom, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Wondering what the second death is? Is that a non-believer is, is casted into the lake of fire. And it says... And anyone who is not, who's not found written in the book of life, by the way, of the Lamb, was cast into that lake of fire. That's the second death. But remember, there's two resurrections. The Bible says, he who has part in the first resurrection, to him, the second death has, over him has no power. In other words, there's two types of resurrections. There is the resurrection of the believers and there is the resurrection of the non-believers. It's not at the same time. John 5, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. That's exactly what Daniel said in chapter, nine, in chapter 12. Hebrews says, and it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And so there is a first resurrection that we all want to be part of. And there is a second resurrection. The first resurrection started with Jesus himself. The Bible says that he became the first fruits from among those who fell asleep. Because no one ever in the history of planet Earth was born, lived, died, raised from the dead, and never died again. No one. Up until the moment that we speak right now, no one ever died, resurrected, and stayed alive. You understand that? Do you understand what I'm talking about? Jesus thus became the first fruit. The resurrection that came right after Jesus included first the Jerusalem saints. The Bible says that right after he, he was crucified and resurrected, we know that people resurrected from the graves. In Matthew 27, it spoke of that. And graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Then, of course, there is the church-age saints. According to 1 Thessalonians and John 14, we see that, and 1 Corinthians 15, we see that we are all going to be resurrected. Then, of course, 
at the time of the rapture, of course. Read in 1 Thessalonians, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this way we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with a voice of the archangel and with a trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, harpazo in Greek, together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. So, first of all, it started with Jesus. Then the saints in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus. Then when the rapture comes, all of the dead in Christ will be resurrected. Then the great tribulation begins. And throughout the first half of the tribulation, God is sending two witnesses to witness of salvation and of God's word to the people. They will be mocked. They will be murdered and they will be resurrected on three, you know, three and a half days later and they will be taken, raptured by God. That's in Revelation 11, 11 to 12. Then in the second part of the tribulation, we know that there is uh, those, um, um, a, the people of Israel that are being kept in the wilderness and then at the end of the tribulation when Jesus comes back Israel and other Old Testament saints are going to be resurrected Isaiah the prophet Daniel the prophet all spoke of that Isaiah knew I'm going to resurrect Isaiah said your deed shall alive sh shall live together with my dead body they shall arise your dead excuse me your dead shall live together with my dead body they shall arise, awake and sing, you who dwell in dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Then, of course, we've got the tribulation martyrs that will be resurrected and taken. And I want to show you that there is a table. Let's put the table of the order of the resurrection so all of you can see who and when is going to be resurrected. There is the first resurrection and the timing of it, and who, and then there is the scripture verses of all of it. Just so you know, pay attention. All the first is before the millennial kingdom. After the millennial kingdom, all the unbelieving dead people in the history of planet Earth will be resurrected. The Bible says, I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. And then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus. And then, of course, it speaks of that. I saw a great white throne in Revelation 20. And him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Remember, books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books, not in the book of life. Remember that. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. Remember, death and Hades. And of course, and they were judged, each one according to his works. 
Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire, we know, is for the non-believers. And when death is there and your second death and your destination is the lake of fire, you will have a sign, a very sad sign of no entrance to the new Jerusalem. Take a look at this very sad sign that probably all of the people who do not believe are going to see no entrance. Can you put that sign, please? No entrance to the new Jerusalem. It's the... Can you put that sign? There you go. However, for the believers, there are three signs that we're going to see. The first one, we're going to heaven very soon. And it's upwards. Second one is seven years later, time to go to earth. Put on your fine linen garments and ride your white horses behind your commander-in-chief. And then, of course, when you're here, you will also see, after the Millennial Kingdom, the beautiful sign of welcome to the new Jerusalem. And I want to finish with one thing. This is it. Until all of that happens, we still have life here. And I want you to know that life is not easy. Anyone who promises you that life of believers are easy is lying to you. I want you to know that Paul, when he wrote to Timothy in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, he knew that he's about to die, and he wrote him those beautiful words. He says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. And look what he said. And I want to ask you if you can say the same thing when your day is coming. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. You know there are fights that are not good. I saved that seat for someone else. You sit in my seat. You parked in my spot. You did this to me. You said that to me. These are stupid things. These are not the good fights. Good fight is about your faith. It's about your heart. It's about eternity. It's about your future. It's about those things. That's the good fight. And it's worth fighting for. Don't fight fights that are not worthy for. Look, in 1 Corinthians 9, Jesus, Paul says, Thus I fight not as one who beats the air. You can ask Manny Pacquiao, he can tell you, beating the air means nothing. You need to beat the person. You need to beat the situation. You need to fight the good fight that matters, not just punching in the air. Going back, he said, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Look, Paul said, there's a race. Life is not just strolling and walking and everything is great. It's a race. I always liken Christianity to be running on an escalator that goes down. Have you tried? Escalator goes down and you run up. What happens if you stop? You go down. There is no, I'm taking a pause from my Christian walk in the next few months. There's no such thing. The life of a believer is a race. And Paul says to those 1 Corinthians, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receive the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Don't just stroll. Don't just do this. Run. Run in order to win. 
I ran, I finished the race, he said. By the way, our finish line is up there, not here. Paul already could see the welcome to heaven. And that's what he said, finally. He said, I kept the faith. I could have lost my faith. Look, I could have blamed every person who did bad things to me and depart from faith and go do whatever I want. Oh, he was nasty to me, those Christians, oh, this, this. Christianity is not about Christians. It's about Christ. And Christianity is not, you know, promising us no problems. Christianity is not the absence of problems. It's the presence of Christ. So it's your choice. I don't want to be a Christian. These are evil people. Well, the, your problem is that you don't look at Jesus, the author and the finisher of, the, of our faith. You look at people. I kept the faith and finally, he said, they're laid up for me the crown of righteousness, and he knew the day of the Bema seat of Christ is not yet there. I need to wait for all of you to come. And when you come in the day of the rapture, then that day the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, he said. Not only to me, he said. I can't wait for the day that I see all of you. Who? Those who have loved his appearing. Do you love? Do you wait? Are you eagerly waiting for His return? Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that we can eagerly wait for Your return. We should eagerly wait. We should love Your appearing. We cannot wait for those crowns of righteousness that You are keeping for us. And You probably already have one reserved with our names. If indeed we will finish the race, we will fight the good fight, and we will keep the faith. We thank you and we bless you that we don't have any part in the second death or the lake of fire, that we are already residents of the new Jerusalem to come. We thank you and we bless you for the great promises that you have for us. And we ask you, Father, that you'll help us to witness to non-believers of the severity and the urgency of the times and the seasons. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this podcast featuring Amir Sarfati, founder and president of Behold Israel. Connect with Behold Israel on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Download our free app available on Android and Apple under Behold Israel. Amir's teachings can be found in multiple languages. You can also visit our website, beholdisrael.org.